Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Hey, that was weird, huh? No NBA basketball last night. Well, we'll get back after tonight, game two in the East. And it's Thursday. We got Thursday night football now. Yuck, who's the Thursday night football game? You don't know, Yuck? Isn't it Cincinnati and Cleveland tonight? Ah, trick question, I knew. You know why they moved Cincinnati and Cleveland to Thursday? So they can show Ohio real football on Sunday and get their ratings up. Can you imagine being in L.A. and being force-fed the Chargers and the Bengals and that blocks out all the other games and you don't get to see Tampa Bay and New Orleans? Ah! Man, L.A. fans have to be irritated. All right. All that uh, is for later. Right now, how about a little BYU football? Let's check in with Troy Warner as the Cougars adapt to no game with Army, uh, bye week on top of a bye week, and three weeks until the home opener, three weeks in between football games. Here's Troy Warner with the media. Hey, Troy, some people are making a big deal about these off-campus parties or whatever, dance parties. Um, to your knowledge, are any football players involved in those at all? And also, have what, do you, what message do you have for some of your fellow students that might be doing that and, and perhaps – putting you guys at risk, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a great question. So uh, I think in the beginning of the year, uh, when this, all, this whole COVID thing happened and in pre- preparation for the season, uh, the coaches and staff and training staff, they all made it very evident that uh, us as players had to do a very good job of um, just being aware of our surroundings. And uh, that, includes, that includes not going to, you know, those type of activities or parties or whatever you may you may call it, um, and so I think I think each guy on this team is very aware that they need to do their part in you know staying safe, uh, being aware of their surroundings, and and doing the right thing so that they don't put our season at jeopardy, um, in jeopardy. So I think uh, I think each guy on this team is very aware of that and and uh, are doing their part in, in uh, keeping this thing going. All right, let's go, Dana, and then Jared Lloyd. Hey, Troy, kind of following up on that, um, you know, everyone's accountable for their own behavior, but as one of the leaders of this team, how much contact do you have with maybe some of the younger players or, or, or even the seniors that might not be in the best positions and you kind of help guide them to be as responsible as possible so you can finish this season? Yeah, accountability is huge um, for this team and especially for this year. And, uh, you know, if you see if you see a guy slacking off or or, um, you know, not doing what they're supposed to, it's important for the leaders to to get on top of that so that it it doesn't become a a reoccurring thing. And uh, I think uh, we pride ourselves in doing that. Um, We have a lot of leadership on this team and and we take care of each other. And we especially the young guys, the guys that may not may not know. Um, you know, the right things to do in this type of situation. But uh, I think we, uh, we've we done a very good job of that. Troy, I wanted to ask you about the other side of it. I imagine that you probably know someone who's tested positive since these are your brothers on this team. And what's it like for them? What's it like, you know, as they're dealing with maybe feeling like they've let the team down or, or done something wrong. And I, I, I don't know the circumstances where the transmission occurred, but what's it like as you've talked to them or interacted at all with them as, as they've dealt with that side of it? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a, when, when you, when you get, you know, COVID it's a, it's a very unfortunate situation. And obviously you, when you're doing all the right things and you're putting yourself in the best position possible to, to be clean and safe, you know, at the end of the day, you could still get it. 
And uh, that's that's the tough part about this all. And and uh, us as teammates, all we could do for those guys is just be there for them. Um, you know, pick them up when it's needed. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's the biggest thing that we can do at the end of the day. Okay, let's go, Jake, and then Mitch, Jake Hatch. Troy, we saw you playing cornerback in the game against Navy. Obviously, you guys were preparing for an option team, but now you kind of turn your attention to Troy, which is more of a traditional offense. Where do you think you'll be lining up the rest of the season? Are you going to be kind of a hybrid guy still? What's your role going to be? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I honestly don't don't know yet. Um, but like I've said in the past, whether it's at corner, whether it's, whether it's at free or strong safety, or whether it's at playing flashbacker, I mean, it, I, I feel like I can do do it all. So uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll figure that figure that out uh, as we get closer to the game in preparation. Uh, but you know, I'm ready to play whatever. So uh, that's that's uh, exciting for me. Troy, how will these small group workouts look this week, and ultimately leading up to when you guys can actually resume the full team practices? What have coaches told you about these small group group workouts? So honestly, I don't even I don't even know exactly the details on that, uh, but I do know that the groups have to be you know significantly smaller, and uh, we have to do things uh, a very specific way, and it may be tedious, but you know if it's what, if it's what we have to do at the end of the day to play football, then we're going to do it. And uh, you know I think I think it's a positive that we're able to still come come to the facility this week and, and get some work in and uh, progress towards towards uh, our opponent, Troy. So I think that's a, that's a positive. All right, last two questions, Jeff Rainier and then Sean Walker. Yeah, I wanted to ask just about uh, your reaction when you heard the news. You guys got out to such a great start, got into the top 25, everything's looking up, fan base excited, and then this happens. Was there a level of frustration with you guys when you found out the news? Yeah, there's a, there's a ton of frustration. Obviously, uh, we're all excited. We were all excited to play Army. Uh, they're a very good team and have shown a lot of upside in the beginning of their season. Um, and although it's unfortunate, uh, we have a lot of faith that that game will be rescheduled. And so, you know, all you can do is just control what you can control. And, and uh, at this point, it's just trying to get healthy and, and uh, you know, follow the guidelines that, that our coaches and staff and have put in place so that we can continue to have a season and play. Uh, and that's the, biggest, that's the biggest thing right now is making sure we can play the rest of the year. Troy, you, Tro, you touched on it right there. But as, as kind of this whole week, week unfolded and, and kind of the – what seemed like a possibility, but maybe a remote possibility happened. Have, have you guys kind of been able to redouble your efforts and go, Hey, this is happening and it sucks really bad right now. What more can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again? Yeah, I think, I think one thing uh, that we're all learning about COVID is that, you know, we, we gain new information on the fly. And uh, uh, I think it's important, you know, as coaches, staff, players, uh, that we're all trying to figure out ways that we can, better handle, you know, the situation that we're dealing with this year. Um, and so, you know, whatever it is, whatever information that we get, it's important that we take it in and, and, uh, and do what's best for each one of us and for the team, uh, in order to, in order to play this season. So I think, uh, I think we just got to roll with the punches. And as we learn new information, it's important to, uh, to, uh, implement them into our daily lives.
There's BYU's Troy Warner. More college football coming up next with the former Cougar, David Nixon. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. David Nixon. Former BYU football player, now doing BYU TV. He joined us for a few minutes to talk about uh, college football. Now, when we spoke to him, the Big Ten was just leaking. We didn't know for sure when the Big Ten was coming back. That all came out a little later. Uh, But we kind of knew it was on the way. So keep that in mind as you listen to David Nixon here with PK and I. DJ and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. David, good morning. Hey, fellas. How's it going? It's going all right. Unless you were all geared up for the BYU Army game, and then you're you're probably a little disappointed. Or are you over that by now? No, I'm still disappointed. Uh, I think I all I think the fans and frankly the players, of course, want to be out there on the field. I mean, especially coming off that that Navy game, you practice a whole week uh, in in preparation uh, for the Army game uh, because you basically have a bye week built in, and then you have to take another bye week because of COVID. So. I tell you what, props to these players. I mean, these are crazy times. They're they're just on a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, I would imagine with with all of a sudden potentially not having a season to having a season, having a fantastic first game. Uh, then you got to sit out and kind of wait to see, uh, you know, practice for a week and a half, and then next thing you know, your game is canceled because of COVID. And now there's a lot of uncertainty of once again who you know uh, practices and meetings and how that all goes down. Uh, and the pro- now the protocol and, and how quickly they can resume. And it's just, uh, I think every day for them is something different. I, I'd be tough, I would imagine, as a player to kind of keep yourself mentally engaged uh, when things are changing every day. So what are you up to now, 350 uh, off the tee? <laughs> I will say my golf game is getting stronger uh, with COVID. Uh, it's, uh, I've, I've golfed <laughs> way too much, Yes. <laughs> Have the opportunity to golf a few holes with David. He can pound it. That's for sure. Because so it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't always go straight, uh, PK. But it, <laughs> yeah, I, I can. It can go far. Just sometimes to the left and to the right. <laughs> yeah, once we get to the fall, which we, you know, we're basically in, even us as media guys, you know, we have the the emotional mental breakdown of what the week is going to be like you know we come in on our shows on monday and we review the games from saturday then we progress during the week and you can almost like feel literally something that is unfeelable but you can feel the momentum of working towards the week and then i know for me covering college football for so many years now you know i wake up on saturday i don't I may, I may wake up at home, I may be in a different city, but I just have this emotion, man, today's game day, and I plan, I basically plan the whole week around it, and we plan the whole shows, all of our shows, and all of that has been interrupted. How is the, How do you think the players are handling this emotional upheaval? Because i got to think that that is just about as difficult as maybe even preparing physically. No question. And... Here's the thing with football and all coaches, you know, for all the different type of coaches I played throughout my high school, college, and pro career, every single coach wants to get a routine put in place. 
and then they all want some structure around the players. Um, so you can kind of anticipate of what's coming next, uh, and you can prepare the same week in, week out, right? You hear that from all coaches, that preparation is key with football. And, and you're right. Right now, it literally is changing every day. I mean, look at the Big Ten players woke up this morning and they realized we're going to play football. I mean, it's changing <laughs> day in and day out. And, and with the COVID testing, you, you can think you're good. And the next thing you know, a couple of your teammates test positive and you're shutting everything down overnight, right? Um, and, and so it, I agree. This, this, is, uh, this is where Kalani makes his money <laughs> and all head coaches across the country because you've got to keep your players uh, engaged. You've got to keep them present. Uh, and, and you've got to give them some type of hope and optimism that everything will be okay. Um, and I, I think about this BOE team. I tell you what, if they lost to Navy in that first week and then you get hit with this news, I think that could break a lot of players because it'd be really, really tough to overcome uh, to, to now you're doubting everything about the season. I mean, is it even worth playing? We lost to Navy. We're 0-1. It's unfortunate for BYU. They're, they're still riding high off that first win. The problem is you want to get back on the field ASAP, and, and now they're not able to. So um, this is where Kalani, this is where Tom, I mean, if, if I'm Tom, I'm going down there to the football, uh, you know, their, their first meeting in the morning and just reassuring them that, you're doing everything you can to get that Army game uh, rescheduled. And, and you know, once BYU gets this COVID thing under check, uh, then they'll be off and running and playing again. So, and, and listen, I, I think it's probably reality check as well for the players um, to realize they've, they've got to take care of themselves. And, and you've, got to, you've got to wear a mask and, and you've got to make sure that uh, you're staying clean. Otherwise, you're going to affect your teammates. And that's the last thing you want to do, right, as, as, a, as a teammate. The last thing you want to do is, is disappoint your fellow teammates um, and put your guys in, in some type of bind. So um, I, I think it might be a positive thing that it happens so early on versus down the road. But it's, it's a bummer. It comes off basically, like I said, a bye week for BYU after that Navy game. Uh, now come, turns into basically two bye weeks. The way they beat Navy and the fact they don't have any Power 5 teams on the schedule and the fact the offensive line looks like it's so good – do you think they're just assuming right now we're going to win the rest of these? I would if you're if you're BYU. I think Army's shaping up to be a pretty solid opponent, uh, and we'll, once again we'll see if that gets rescheduled or not. Um, but listen, this team knew they were going to be pretty darn good coming into the season. You had Zane Anderson, Troy Warner. Uh, you still got Chris Wilcox who's working his way back on the defense side of the ball. Um, a lot of skill and 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 a lot of experience coming back. And then on the offside side of the ball, and really both sides of the ball, you had a lot of players who got hurt last year. I mean, last year, I think for BYU had to be one of the worst years as far as injuries go. And as a result, you had a lot of young guys who were able to step in and play and gain that experience, that game time experience. And then, of course, these veteran guys come back off their injuries. And so now you've got veterans, young guys. The whole team has this game experience that you can, they can lean on. And, and because of that, you can rotate guys in and out. Um, and, and you just have a more solid team, of course. So – you know, if I'm BYU, I'm looking at that, the way you played against Navy, and, and yeah, you're excited. Listen, we're all pumping the brakes, of course. We realize there's one game, uh, and, and there's a lot of football to be played, but you really do. You look at the schedule, and, and you say BYU should be favored now in every game um, and, and should be able to take care of business. But we'll see, obviously. I think that's why the, both uh, fans and players obviously want to get back to the field because – they want to be able to. The players want to be able to prove themselves that prove to themselves that yeah, we're, we're the real deal, uh, and and go out there and make it two games in a row. Um, but you need. I think all everyone needs a little bit more of a sample size to to go out there and say this is a team that can run the table or not. But uh, schedule wise, when you look at it, no question. I mean, I think 
to what they showed week one, this is a team that should have a lot of confidence uh, to know that they can go out there and run it. So during that Navy game, I had a friend of mine who played at the college level text me, man, I wish Kalani would stop acting like an adolescent with all the emotion that he was showing in the dancing. And I got to think about it, and I pondered it for the next couple of days. And, you know, Kalani, you got to be true to who you are. And you played for Bronco, and I'm not sure Bronco would have danced on the sideline. You know, that's, that's not something that he would have done under just about any circumstance. But as I'm thinking with no fans and you're on the road, and it's your first game, and you're trying to get everybody going. I'm actually thinking that this might be the right thing because there's no other way for you to get fired up and be at an emotional level that you need to be unless it's coming from yourselves because of the fact of the unusual circumstances. So I'm thinking that I support what Kalani was doing. Put yourself in a position. You were a former player, obviously. As a current player, how would you react to that? I love it, and I and I do love it. I mean, to your point, they've got to create the energy somehow. Uh, when you have no fans in the stadium to, to root you on, and, and you create that, you, you got to create yourselves. And uh, Kalani was doing just that. And, and, and he mentioned on our BYU TV Sports post game show that uh, the players asked him to do that. The players asked him to be amped up and, and kind of go crazy. And, say, and so he said, "Listen, the players asked me to do. It, I'm going to do it." Um, and, and I think that just shows you kind of respect between the players and, and Kalani and, and vice versa. And so uh, I, I think it was awesome. I mean, yeah, it, it maybe gets out a little out of control and, and optically maybe it looks bad because head coach is supposed to be more stoic and more serious on the sideline. Um, but I, I love the fact that he's out there celebrating with his guys and getting pumped up. And it's just a different approach. I mean, keep in mind, Bronco, he, he celebrated just as hard, but he did it behind closed doors. I mean, in the locker room, you've seen videos where – after wins, everything goes crazy in there and, and throwing water bottles and spraying stuff everywhere. So it, it, was, it was fun, but it wasn't on the, on the field per se. But Kalani just, just left it all out there. And, and, uh, and I think the players respect him for that, and they play harder for him because they realize this is a guy that's not trying to be a different guy on the field versus he is behind closed doors and that, that Kalani is who he is. And I think, I think players respect that. And, and like I said, I think he's trying to bring some energy to the field as well. This this, these are crazy times. I cannot imagine playing in front of no fans. I mean, I just, that's, that's the whole point of, of football. When you, st- when you take a step back, football is just pure entertainment. I mean, it's, it's a game you play to entertain fans, uh, and, and especially when you get to the NFL level, right? Uh, you get compensated well to do it, but you, it's pure entertainment. And when you don't have anybody there to watch you to, for you to entertain them, it's got to be tough. When it's, when it's quiet, I mean, it's a scrimmage. And I, Obviously, we all. I, I played lots of scrimmages, and it's 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 fun, but it's not that fun. <laughs> and and these guys, uh, that, that's what the mindset. I mean, that's what the reality is. Is basically playing in scrimmage week in week out. So um, I think they're pretty excited to get home for the Troy game and and uh, play in front of you know six thousand fans, which would be nice. But uh, yeah, it, I I love Kalani the way that he's celebrating. Um, and you know, maybe some people feel like it's adolescent and childish, but. I think it's the right thing, given the circumstances. Uh, and like I said, given what the players asked for him to do, and uh, they, they wanted to see that from him, and, and he's given it to them. David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst, former BYU linebacker, joining us. Of all the Broncos celebrations, the one I remember the most is at Cal when it looked like they nearly threw him off the sprinklers in the ceiling. He came very close to you know needing stitches, right? Facial lacerations. Could they throw Kalani that high? Kalani's pretty thick. 
he's he's a little thicker. Uh, but I tell you what, with that offensive lineman you get underneath there, that offensive lineman I guarantee you could push him that high. I mean, I think I think he's definitely doable. <laughs> okay. All right, serious football question. Louisiana Tech's brand new to the schedule. Last six years, they're averaging about nine wins under Skip Holtz. So do you view them now, unless the Army game's rescheduled, are they the, are they the biggest – are they the best opponent and the biggest hurdle to an undefeated season? I think it's a toss-up between them and Houston. Um, and like you said, deciding upon what happens with, with Army. But, um, yeah, I mean, anytime you face an air raid type offense like Louisiana Tech, and especially for BYU, it's difficult, right? I mean, BYU struggles traditionally with those type of offenses. So um, I think it's going to be a fantastic matchup. And, and I, I love the fact that, they, Tom Homo's still out there looking for games. And even given, once again, we, the reason he left a lot of bye weeks open a lot, and the reason a lot of other teams left bye weeks open towards the end of the season is because of what's going on right now with COVID uh, to, to give you time to reschedule and make up games. And so, uh, you know, we've been told that he's going out there actively, you know, aggressively going out there looking for games. And sure enough, we saw the announcement of Louisiana Tech. So um, we'll see. I, I think everyone's optimistic that he'll eventually fill out a 12-game schedule uh, even though it might take some time to, to get to it. Uh, but we've seen that he's, uh, he's out there trying to make it happen. So I, I like the game. Uh, you know, of course, once again, we, we'd all like to see P5s, but, but you, you're seeing with the announcements, uh, I believe Big Ten announces more, and it's only an eight-game schedule interconference. So it's going to be tough to schedule those guys, and hopefully uh, bowl games still happen. BYU can find themselves in a, in a good bowl game and, and play a, a great P5 to kind of finish the season. But – uh, in the meantime, you gotta, you got to play whoever they've lined up for you, and uh, Troy's next. But I, I like the Louisiana Tech pick, and, and hopefully they can get some other good teams on the schedule. Not sure what the right word is, frustrated, irritated, inflamed, but if you were a Pac-12 player and you see what's happening, and you just sort of alluded to the Big Ten coming back and the others that are out there playing, what would your emotions be right now? Listen, I'm a, I'm a BYU guy, and of course, you know we uh, we had this heated rivalry with the U. But I honestly feel terrible for those guys because as a, as a as a fellow athlete, uh, you train so hard uh, and you put so much time and energy into what is college football, and and I feel bad for the U players. I feel bad for the whole Pac-12 uh, uh, because as of now, as of today, they're they're not playing. Who knows? That could change. Uh, I think it'd be tougher to change given the state of California and the fact that you have. Uh, what four teams in the, just in the state of California alone, uh, and so I just uh, you you feel for them honestly, and I, I don't know if they can change course like the Big Ten has, but um, you know I, I I feel for them, and, and hopefully there's a way they can spark their season up here soon too, given given everything the Big Ten's explaining. I mean I think the Big Ten's done a good job so far this morning of what I've read of putting material out there saying you know why they changed their decision and and. What the what it looks like going forward as far as testing and in different phases the teams have to be in in order to, to compete. So um, I, I feel for them. I hope they can find a way. If not, it's it's a huge bummer because, like I said, you've got kids that that have even with COVID going on, we're still working out, finding ways to work out, finding finding ways to meet up with their teammates at parks to run routes and and, and be together and to be able to not to you know not not have the opportunity to play while everyone else is playing. It's just got to be solved in the wounds. Maybe I'm overly confident here or overly optimistic, 
But when the commissioner says this antigen test is a game changer, well, that only applies one thing, plain. And now the Big Ten has, and clearly the Big Ten was under pressure, and clearly you don't want to be the only Power Five conference sitting out. I'm just figuring it's when are they going to announce it, not if they're going to announce it. Am I being too optimistic here? Yeah, I think I think in normal circumstances, uh, that'd be the, you know naturally that'd be the case. But once again, I think you're you're dealing with a, a state of California uh, that has so much sway and it has its own issues um, that you know I, I I just don't know if it happens or not. And and when you've got you know a, what a third of the conference uh, just in that state alone, I, I think it just makes it super difficult to to be able to move forward and, and have a full conference play when when you've got schools in California that literally, I mean, the, the whole cities are still shut down. So I think politics, that's where it's a bummer that politics come into play here. Um, but I think for the Pac-12's case, that is that is the case. So I, I, I'm with you. Hopefully they can find a way and, and, and maybe the restrictions start to ease up there in California. But until then, it's, it's going to be a tough sell. Um, and, of course, naturally, we'd all want to see it happen. I mean, I think there's now – with the Big Ten, they're basically trying to play catch-up, right? They're playing eight games. They, they hope to have their conference game, I believe, by the end of December, which lines up to, to jump right into college football playoffs, you know, not have that month and a half that you typically have um, for, for, you know, have off until the college football playoffs and bowl games. They just basically sucked that up in this last month, month and a half. And so um, I, I think that lines up well, and hopefully the Pac-12 could jump on board. I just, man, it, it looks difficult given, given the circumstances, given everything going on out here in the West. You're a former NFL player. Uh, what'd you think of the social activism on week one? Look, I'm, I'm 100% behind the cause. I, I, I get it. And I, having grown up in Texas um, and, and seeing things there from my own eyes uh, and then seeing what's going on in the NFL, I, I 100% support the movement they're doing um, and you know, would stand beside them if I were out there on the field. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just difficult times. I mean, the crazy thing, we talk about COVID change every week. Of course, there's different cases and different video, video footage coming out every week as well with some of those police brutality. And it's, um, you know, changing the way that these players approach the game as well. So it's something that's, that's uh, ever changing. And, and hopefully, you know, they can, all players can start to feel at ease more with, uh, with some of the reform and, uh, some of the some of the action has taken place. I think that's my biggest thing is, hey, let's come together. Let's let's draw out and let's put out there some uh, things that we can all do together as a community and, and as as players on the field. Those guys uh, that they can do to to try to make this a better world to live in. Frankly, right, and, and make sure we are kind of one team and one unit. So, um, you know, whatever they decide and and however they decide to do it, uh, I'm all ears and and would be 100 percent behind it. So there are clearly people in this state, we see it in our social media, who would disagree with you completely. And you say you grew up in Texas and you saw stuff. Um, you know, the, the Jazz, I don't know about the local colleges because they're not playing, but certainly the Jazz have gotten feedback from fans and sponsors. Some of, they're, they're really upset. And some of the stuff that they've gotten back has really crossed the line. Um, but there are other people who are upset and haven't crossed the line. So what have you seen that makes you think that, that you could convey to people whose views are 180 degrees opposite of what you think? Yeah, listen, I just grew up in a, in a – I mean, even where I grew up in College Station, Texas, right, is, is a nice, affluent area. Um, but I had I had lots of uh, teammates and lots of friends that were obviously African-American that, that didn't grow up in the same type of circumstances. They, they didn't have the same type of privileges that, 
that frankly we had as as Caucasians. And so, um, you know, they 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 were kind of a step behind, if you will. Uh, and and that's why, once again, I, I I stand with them. I understand where they're coming from. I, I understand that there's years and years, decades and centuries of pent up frustration, um, and and that this is the time that they're kind of allowing it all out there. So. Uh, I'm 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 totally with them. I, I understand where where they're coming from. Uh, I know that some of these manners with with uh, the riots and things like that is definitely not the right way to go. I think it's more of and you've seen this come out from some people where it's more of a message of love and unity and how can we fix this together, not how can we divide each other more. Um, and so I think there's movements all over the place that are trying to figure it out that, that haven't quite hit the right approach yet. Um, but you look at these NFL players, none of them are inciting violence as far as I'm aware of. Um, and all of them are trying to to find a way for us to be united against this. And so, um, I, I I get it. I, like I said, I saw it firsthand, and and um, you know I understand it's a touchy subject for a lot of people. I mean, not, obviously I'm watching it play out as well. But uh, it's, I definitely don't take the approach of you know what are these guys doing. This is a joke. I, I, I like I said, I totally get where they're coming from, and and uh, I'm with them. I'm, I mean, I'm with them to figure out a way to. To, to end this and to uh, make change, a positive change. Uh, and, and like I said, I think the, the key word that you've seen out there is just love, right? I think I, th- I thought that was really cool what BYU did on their shirts. If you notice when they came out there for the Navy game, it was love one another. Was, and that's a common frame in the LDS uh, culture with the, with the song. But um, I, thought it was a, I thought it was a great message that unity and love is the way that we kind of combat this versus violence and, and division. So, um you know, uh, we'll, we'll see how it continues to play out and, and how BYU addresses it as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with them as far as that goes. David, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on with us. Yeah, always fun, fellas. Take care. There's David Nixon. When we come back, the U.S. Open. Let's get ready to go. Bob Casper, it's time to draft players. Who's winning? That's next with Bob. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. This year in the Golf 2020 U.S. Open preview from Wingfoot Golf Club with Real Golf Radio's Bob Casper is brought to you by Zions Bank. Hoops Vision and Siegfried and Jensen. Bob, good morning. How you doing? Good. 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 U.S. Open. Championship. U.S. Open in September, and it's it's like the second turn of the new season. It doesn't have to do with the old season. Does any of that matter? Or it's just the U.S. Open? Who cares? It's It's Wingfoot, baby. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. It's it's uh, the second major championship of the year, uh, of the calendar year. It's the U.S. Open. Uh, we've had the PGA, and we'll have the Masters in November. And um, e- even though it's in September, it's okay. We have a U.S. Open. So I'm watching a golf channel, and obviously they're previewing it, doing all that type of stuff that they do, and they literally show the course and you get you got the fairway, you got the first cut, and then you got the second cut. And that second cut looked like my lawn when I haven't mowed it for three weeks. <laughs> it's deep. 
<laughs> it's really deep. A lot of the a lot of the players are are saying that uh, you know it's wedge out. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one because the U.S. Open has kind of lost its identity over the last little bit with Aaron Hills and and some of the other ones. It's made it a little almost a little bit easier. Um, but now you've got it back to kind of where its roots are with narrow fairways, deep rough, uh, hard, firm, fast greens, hard, firm, fast fairways as well, um, where you, it's a premium to hit the ball in the fairway. It's a premium to drive it uh, well off the tee. It's a premium to, to putt extremely well. Um, and um, it's a premium that when you miss greens, that that you can get it up and down, or um, you, your short short game of putting is going to be huge this week as well. Okay, I don't know how well PK fertilizes his lawn, but my lawn couldn't grow that much in three weeks, no matter what I did to it. There's actually a thing that I've retweeted from golf.com. Put a can of the Arnold Palmer beverage, and it's it looks like it's the can looks like it's eight or nine inches tall, and you right. can barely see the top of it. Right now, I know that the U.S. Open they're going to have spotters out there to find a ball, but if it were just the average foursome plane, they wouldn't even find the ball in that thing. You wouldn't have any idea where it was. How big a penalty is this going to be when someone's ball is? I mean, are you going to be able to reach the green? Are you going to be able to control it coming out of this? I mean, just finding it's going to be hard, let alone hitting it and knowing where it's going. Well, there will be some people um, that that are kind of spotters, uh, as far as volunteers are concerned, to um, to make sure that that they're able to see, you know, tee shots and that kind of thing. Bryson DeChambeau um, has said. Most, you know, most of the players are trying to figure out how to get the ball in the fairway, and Bryson DeChambeau doesn't care. He wants to hit it as hard as he can, and uh, down there, and um, and hit, you know, wedges and and nine irons and stuff like that out of the rough, and try to get it on the green that way. I think Bryson DeChambeau is going to have an extremely long week with that type of thinking, but um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I know that. Uh, uh, on Twitter this week, there was a picture of one of the pieces of grass that they pulled from uh, the rough on one of the holes, and it was a good eight, eight to twelve inches long. Um, so the grass is going to lay over. It's going to be thick. It's going to be tough. Um, they're topping it a little bit uh, the last couple of days, but they'll let it grow the rest of the week, and uh, and it's going to be an extremely tough test if you if you hit the ball in the rough. So how do you think this is going to affect club selection? Well, it depends on what you're talking about. If, if you're talking about off the tee, um, you know, guys are going to have to figure out how to get the ball in the fairway with drivers. There's some there's some holes that you, you definitely have to hit driver. But if the golf course plays fast, you're going to see a lot of three woods, five woods. Dustin Johnson put in a driving iron, a two iron, into his bag this week, took out a seven wood that he normally plays with. Um because he hits the ball left to right off the tee, and there's there's as many right to left holes, um, holes that that uh, kind of dog leg right to left, as there are holes that dog leg left to right on this golf course. So he took the driving iron out to be able to hit it um, uh, or shape it a little bit more right to left, and and then be able to uh, to attack the golf course that way. 
but but club selection off the tee is going to be huge, no doubt. Why is Wingfoot? Why do when people say Wingfoot, they just say it with a certain tone in their voice? I mean, the U.S. Open only goes to elite golf courses, but there still seems to be something. What does Wingfoot have that makes it so special? Um, I think it's the design. Um, the, the original designer uh, A W uh, Tillinghast uh, was a phenomenal designer of golf courses, um, and there's a bunch of them in the in the the Northeast that he has designed but uh but but um i i think the other reason uh, uh is because it's a golf course that um was brought together by golfers um the the um head professionals at the golf course claude Harmon, um is a masters champion um and he won the masters when he was um, when he was one of the one of the head pros there, um, you know, the, it's it is a golf club, um, and and it is a phenomenal design, and it is known for being extremely difficult, um, but very fair as far as a golf course is concerned. I, I know when my dad won, when my dad went there in 1959 to play that golf course. Um, he got on the golf course and he said, "You know what? In his mind, he said, if I'm ever going to win a U.S. Open, this is going to this is going to be where where I get where I win." And he went on to win that week by a shot in 1959. Um, so it, it's it's a golf course that requires a lot of um, strategy. It's a golf course that requires uh, a great shot maker, a great putter, um, and. Uh, and everybody knows, just like you hear Shinnecock, you hear um, Oakmont, uh, those, these golf courses, Wingfoot, Shinnecock, Oakmont, they're kind of the granddaddies of, of U.S. Open golf, and, uh, and they're known as being the toughest, toughest and fairest best in the game. Hmm. All right, it's time for the draft. You ready, Bob? Oh, I am ready. Yes, I am. <laughs> I believe tradition dictates that you get to go first. Really? Well, you're the guest. Okay. So I think that's I think that's the way it works. Okay. So I'm not going to pick the obvious favorite, but um, I am going to I'm I'm going to go with Justin Thomas to begin with. He's won three times this year. He won a WGC event uh, just you know three or four weeks ago. Uh, finished second last week at the Tour Championship, and I think this golf course sets up extremely well for him. Well, I'll take John Rahm. Was that your obvious pick that you passed on? No. Oh, okay. Well, then no. I just left the obvious pick out there for PK. Yep, and I think he'll take it. I'll go with Brooks Kepka. Oh, he's not playing. Sorry. I know. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> No, obviously it's Dustin Johnson. Of course it is. That's yeah. the obvious pick. Right. So, yeah. Go hey, get him, PK. Next. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm going with. Yeah. Okay. All right, back to so you, PK. Bob, round two. Back to me, round two. I'm going to take one. Here's, here's my out-of-the-blue one again. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Xander Shoffley. Oh, you're killing me. Why is that so out-of-the-blue? 
I don't know. Is that who you were going to say? Yes, take? it was absolutely. <laughs> Wait, I am so hold on sorry. one second. Yock, look at this list. <laughs> Look at this list. Who's number two, Yock? <laughs> he had he had Zonda Sheffield right. as his number two pick. Man. He yes, spelt he it right. He spelt the last did. name right. Yeah, like Zander Shoffley is San Diego boy, man. And uh you know, he's played the US Open three times, Xander Shoffley. He has a third place finish, a fifth place finish, and a sixth place finish. So he hasn't finished worse than six. And um he just he, I think he likes US Open venues. So that's what I'm taking. All right, Adam Scott. Okay. No, you didn't like that pick at all, did you? No, 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 no. You didn't like it now, Bob. You usually, <laughs> oh, that's a good pick. And it's like, eh, okay. <laughs> Wasted that one, DJ. <laughs> uh, okay. DK, what do you think? You're not telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm debating between a couple of guys that maybe the casual follower wouldn't know, but obviously you would know, and that is between Berger and Cantlay. And I think in honor of DJ, I'm going to go Berger. You know what? That's a really good pick. As, as compared to Adam Scott. But. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> the delivery was great. Finally, you admit it. It was obvious from the start. You just, you're such a nice guy. You can't bring yourself to, no, to say No, no. Adam Scott's a great player. Um, he's a really nice guy. I, you know, he's still putting broom style um, with the long putter. Uh, yeah, I, you know. Uh, okay. Um, but. But Daniel Berger has played extremely well since the COVID break, and um, he won earlier uh, the first tournament back at Colonial, um, and a, a good, really good, really good player. So I think uh, he was he was one I was kind of toying between two. Uh, my last two is is picks. So so you got him. So you picked Daniel Berger. Awesome. My third pick is going to be Webb Simpson. Um, Webb Simpson won the U.S. Open at, at uh, Olympic Club, where my dad also won a U.S. Open. And here, it, here he is. Um, here we are back at um, Wingfoot, where my dad always also won a U.S. Open. Um, and so I, I think Webb Simpson uh, has played some phenomenal golf this year. He's won a couple times. Um and uh, I think this is going to be a good one for him. Trying to think. Now. Oh, I feel a lot of pressure now, though. You, you stole a pick from me. You hated a pick by me. I just don't even want to say anything right now. My self-confidence I'm is sorry, such DJ. a low level. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you want to get that? Uh, I'll... I'll, I'll call back. You got a bigger name on another <laughs> line, Bob? Nope. All right. Uh, I feel like I shouldn't do this, but I'm drawn to it anyway. All right, Colin Morikawa. There you go. Yeah, you hated that one too, didn't you? You hated no, that like, one too. I really like that one. Yeah, this is a good golf course for him. And he's not intimidated by playing in major championships. We saw that at the PGA when he won. So, um, yeah, I think this is uh, – you know, he's got confidence that he can play well, um, especially in major championships and against the best players in the world. So I think that's a really good pick, too. 
calling, mm-hmm. calling BS on that take, but thanks anyway, Bob. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I want to be hated. I mean, I enjoy being hated, so I'm tempted to go with DeChambeau since Bob already just poo-pooed him and said he's in for a long week. Uh, said that earlier. Uh, but I think that uh, maybe maybe I'll go with another bomber. This, this, okay. what's this? How do you pronounce this kid's name? Tony uh, Finau. Finau, there I it thought, is. I, I thought that was all. That was a given for all of us with Tony. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, so, we, all right, we always kept right. that as the like the ninth, the, the pick for all three of you. We want Tony okay, to yeah. okay, okay, okay. All right. Uh, so you're right. So I'll, 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 I'll. You wanted Cantley earlier. You're going to go with him. You mentioned him in your second round. Yeah, right that's pick. a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought that player. was an automatic. I honestly thought, well, you're just going to take Cantley. No, I was looking for a, a bomber, and I was thinking between DeChambeau and and Tony. But you're right. We did decide that Tony would be our our, our sort pick, of uh, yeah. universal pick since yep. we're always going to root for the local dude to to break through. And what a way it would be to break through. So yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Cantley would be the other one. Yeah, good one. Yeah, Cantley. Cantley's a good pick as well. Um, you know, he hasn't played crazy good since since coming back, but um, but he's he's the kind of guy that kind of plods along and and puts extremely well. So yeah, he'll be a good he'll be a really good pick. So if I were second guessing these picks right now. The two I would second guess, well, obviously I should second guess Adam Scott because you said it was a, that the pick sucked. But <laughs> for the picks that don't suck that I would second guess, PK taking DJ, uh, Dustin Johnson, and me taking Morikawa, for guys who've won a lot, it's, it, it, golf is just so... You know, in other sports, you can dominate and you can win all the time. But in golf, it's like you can only win a certain number of times, right? If you win five times in a year, you've had an enormous year, even if you're playing 15 or 20 tournaments. So sometimes picking a guy who just won a major or a guy who's won a couple times leading up to the major, it's almost like they can't win because I already won this stuff and nobody wins that much. Do you think... Morikawa winning another major. DJ, who's obviously been on fire, can do it again. Or are the odds just stacked against him because of the nature of golf? Well, I think um, when you look at it, you know, Morikawa, like you said, he won the PGA Championship. He's won three times on tour now. Um, as As far as him... Winning again, I think it, it might be a little bit too soon, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it past him um, because he is such an accomplished player and what he's been able to do so quick in his career. Only, you know, he's what played probably less than 30 events and he's won three times. Um, and that's animate with a major. So that's phenomenal play. As far as DJ is concerned, DJ loves playing in the U.S. U.S. Open. He's he's his only major win championship was uh, win was at um, was a U.S. Open championship, and um, and he plays well in U.S. Open championships. So um, you know, coming off of uh, winning um, what three times and since the COVID break, um, especially playing extremely well in the last two to three weeks. Um, yeah, it could be um, a little bit um, coming off of, uh, you know, the let, let down, getting player of the year, um, that kind of thing. It could be a little bit of a letdown, but but DJ's focus this week, he, he's a good pick. 
Um, I, I just chose not to pick him. Um, but he's a really good pick, and um, and I expect him to play well because he's the number one player in the world right now. Bob, as always, we appreciate most of what you uh, do, except, you know, when you poo-poo my picks. <laughs> well, I didn't say Adam Scott wasn't a good player. Well, there's that. Silver lining. There's that. Yes, silver huh. lining. All right, well, we'll talk to you and uh, Brian throughout the week. Thanks for joining us. Okay. All right. There's Bob Casper talking U.S. Open. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.